Hello, everybody, and welcome to the British Arrows To The Point podcast. My name's Danny Edwards, and I'm the co-editor of Shots. And today I'm joined by Rania Robinson, the CEO and partner at Quiet Storm and the director of Create Not Hate, and Ali Owen, founder and director of the Brixton Finishing School, the Ad Academy, and Adventure. Today we'll be talking about diversity, equity and inclusion, something that's on all our advertising companies' agendas at the moment. Uh, we'll be talking about specifically how to attract young, diverse people into the industry and how to retain them and what we can do as a business to further this cause. Thank you both very much for taking the time to join us uh, today. It's very nice to see you, actually physically see you, which is always good. Um, so yeah, we're talking about DEI. So look, first question I wanted to ask uh, both of you, Diversity, equity and inclusion, it's something that on, that's on every company's sort of agenda at the moment uh, and has taken on a lot of importance over the last year, two years, but that seems to be when it's sort of come to the fore, only in the recent past. Do you, would you agree with that? Do you think that's the case, Rania? I think we've been talking about it as an industry for much longer than we've really been driving real real action, if you like. I think this year, or certainly in the last 18 months, you know, well, post-George Floyd, probably I'd say, where I personally felt there's been a big acceleration, not just in in talk, but also in very fundamental action. Um, I mean, we were a long way off for driving kind of real, you know, fundamental change. Um, but I, I definitely feel like there's been an acceleration from, okay. from talk to, to meaningful so, action. Okay. I completely agree with uh, Rania around George Floyd. Um, prior to that, I would say from a gender perspective, we've obviously had massive battles over the last 30 years for things like maternity leave, parental leave, you know, even equal pay, which we're still obviously not at. Mm -hmm. Definitely from my projects, we deal with uh, people from multicultural backgrounds and socially mobile Caucasians. And I would say we've seen a massive uptick since the murders, well, the publication of the murders in America. Yeah, yeah. So obviously that that kind of behaviour has been going on for a really long time. But is that slightly galling though, do you think, that it's taken sort of world-shattering events like the George Floyd murder to kind of bring it to the fore and to kind of shake people into doing something? And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I don't know if you could say, that. obviously that's not a good thing that that's happened, but, you know, it's taken such a, a, a big publicised event to kind of make people stand up and take notice. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely frustrating for the black community who've been living it, you know, yeah. um, you know, you know, the whole lives. So, yeah, absolutely. But I think, you know, what I, I like to be, I'm a, you know, I'm a positive person. I think mm -hmm. you need to be positive. Um, and uh, you know, at least it's happening. You know, it's happening. So, I, I'm embracing that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree with Rania again. I think I can completely understand that it does smacks a little bit of hypocrisy, doesn't it? That suddenly you've realised something's wrong. But again, it's a starting point. Okay, at least we're pushing off from somewhere and nobody can argue or say there's no awareness now. You know, I think the time when people used to say, oh, no, we've resolved that, which I've definitely heard a lot of white people say in spaces, is long gone. You know, I think it's, you know, it's, but to take the death of... No, many individuals to be publicised is yeah. just a tragic, yeah, a tragic starting point. Yeah, uh, and there's there's a lot of work it seems in getting uh, young people of colour and people of different uh, backgrounds into the industry uh, and trying to attract them into the business. But 
is one of the issues that there isn't enough diversity already in the industry and certainly at the top of the industry to kind of back that up and kind of push that forward and you know what do we do about getting people you know how do we solve that problem if it you know if we can and how do we do it to sort of make people sort of come to the top of the industry you know how, how you know it feels like we need those people there to really kind of push this forward i think a big part of the problem is they don't think it's an industry that's for them they either don't know about it or they don't think it's for people, you know, because they're not seeing people like them within right. within the industry. Or they're not even, in some cases, not even aware about the industry or, you know, or, or that it feels like a closed shop. I think where there's the real kind of challenge, I mean, that there's a whole job to be done around awareness and inspiring them to also, you know, we've got a job to convince them to come into our industry as well. It's like, you know, we, we kind of assume that we're, you know, doing them huge favours and opening the doors and lucky, you know, lucky you. But actually it's 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 for the benefit of the industry and it's our job to make sure that they want to be joining um, our industry as much as any other um, industry would, would need to do that. So I think that the real challenge is making sure that they have a good experience when they come in as well. So, um, you know, th- there's definitely been progress made around entry level, bringing more people in, but actually if they don't have a great experience, if they don't see that they can progress, that they can develop, that it's a place for them, once they come in, then that's it. You know, they're, yeah. they're straight back out again. So I think this revolving door is, is is the potential kind of challenge that that we are facing into um, alongside obviously making sure that we're attracting enough Mm -hmm. uh, enough sort of diverse talent into into the industry Mm -hmm. and how how do companies keep those people I mean you know like you said you know we're assuming these people want to come in and not just people of diverse backgrounds but uh, you know anyone anyone at the moment you know like there's lots of competition in creative uh, environments that that young people go into and advertising suffered from that but how do we make it so that uh, young people of whatever background want to be a part of this industry and and keep them a part of this industry because that seems to be like you say that's one of the problems Ali do you you, I mean do you I so yeah I compare my industry a bit to like Hogwarts where (laughs) if you're in the know you'll have discovered it and I think we've relied you know, I compare it to if you're a young person and you know that platform nine and three quarters exists, you'll probably get in. But the majority of people are completely unaware that we're even a business. The IPA and debut, which is a careers app, did a survey of graduates. So people, young people who've actually left the house, had some experience in the outside world. And one in four of them said, you know, at the very most basic level, there is no money in advertising. Now, that's your ultimate baseline, isn't it? And certainly from a professional point of view, if you're from certain communities, then you're going to be, your talent will be driven into doctor, lawyer, accountant. We're just completely invisible to parents of talent, to the talents themselves as a, a kind of profession. So I think there's a massive magnet challenge that needs to be done in the younger age groups. Then once they get in, you know, we do an annual survey of our students and graduates. Um, those that are in the industry view it as less diverse than those that are yet to break into the industry. And I think that's a really telling early years experience. You know, you've broken in, you've worked really hard to get into this elite industry. And once you're in, you go, blimey, why do all these people look like this? Why doesn't it look like the real world? And it doesn't. It's like we've got on like a little spaceship to an alien planet where only a certain amount of types of people exist rather than the the amazing kind of panorama of different types of people that are actually in the real world. Yeah, yeah. But but then why, but, you know, I guess the question is why aren't, why aren't there more of those people? Why, you know, what's stopping those uh, people from diverse backgrounds from stepping into the industry and what barriers are they facing 
that that you know are kind of stopping them or making them think twice about coming in is there something specific that you think needs to be done to change that by companies or just by the industry at large how can we face up to that Shall I? Well, in terms of the surveys, we do a barriers to entry survey and it's very much class and race based. And it's about it's about how much money you have. So you can't do free internships. You know, you're not aware of it in your comprehensive. Um, and a lot of people don't see role models as well um, that look like them achieving. Yeah. And going back to your earlier point about the senior levels, if you've got really undiverse leaders, if I'm a very bright young person and I know I'm a winner and I want to get to be a CEO, why would I bet on an industry that's got no CEOs that look like me? You know, I'd rather put my talent into a different vertical where I know I'm going to have the wind behind me rather than against me on my kind of climb to the top of the hill. Mm. And I think there's lots of stuff we need to do, but it's got, it's a structural change. There is nothing wrong with the young people or even people from different age groups who want to break in. It's the systems we've got in place that are holding that talent back from breaking through. Okay. Um, and so the work that you guys do, Create Not Hate, for example, you know, what, what, what systems are being put in place or what are you advocating should be done within the industry to kind of push those barriers and yeah. break those? Well, what we're trying to do is we're trying to open, um, well, open up the possibilities as a start point to young people who haven't even considered advertising, mm-hmm. give them real work life, like a real um, experience of it. Because we found, you know, often... They're not, you know, like, like I said, you, you kind of you expect a level of enthusiasm that isn't necessarily there. But actually, once they you give them an opportunity to experience what it's like to try and crack a brief or come up with ideas and actually show them the creative potential that they have that they've maybe not even considered or even had an opportunity to explore, um, it's it's really they get really excited about it and it suddenly becomes something that that, that they're interested in. And and what it the way we structure the programs is that it gives them exposure to the industry but the industry exposure to them as well and what we like to do is create work that goes out in the world as well so they've got a live piece of work that's actually out there and you know we 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 kind of also look at kind of tackling social issues that act as barriers for for these communities as well so it's kind of got a a number of sort of layers to it um but what but more to the point is we're giving um them direct access to creative directors leaders in the industry working alongside them and just getting a real um early kind of level of exposure to the industry i mean we're very much at the kind of upper end of the funnel if you like which is the kind of awareness inspiration end our pathways in you know, we're not getting the numbers in the way that, you know, Ali's doing with, through Brixton Finishing School and some of the other brilliant organisations out there. I would say we're probably delivering more on the kind of the top end of the funnel and also campaigning, if you like, as well, which is where we reach, you know, millions of people through really, you know, strong creative campaigning work, which is developed by the people that are having these lived experiences. And it's also a showcase uh, to the industry that, you know, these these kids, I mean, a recent campaign we ran is winning awards in the industry. And these are young people have never, you know, have never had any experience with advertising and they're winning awards you know prestigious awards in the industry so i think our role is is slightly different to where the the scale level of pathways that that ali's you know delivering on which is brilliant we've kind of set up to rewire the whole industry so it becomes an equitable pathway in so all communities can get a fair and free shot at breaking in so adventure is our initial encounter 
that reaches 100,000 14 to 19-year-olds. We are recruiting and mobilising an army of industry experts and stars to go back into the schools they came from. Um, and we're working with diverse industry leaders, people like Common People, which are obviously socially mobile, working class groups, um, to create these encounters that spark that initial Oh my God, I could do that. Obviously, that's not a young person's voice. That's me <laughs> doing it. Me as a 49 year old woman doing a young person's voice. Um, and it's just to demonstrate the breadth of roles and the fact there's money in them hills. And whatever you're great at, if you're a chatter, you could be great at client relationships. If you're kind of the person that loves organizing parties for their mates, well, why not be a project manager? There's loads of different roles that we could do based on what you like doing that's not necessarily academic. Then once you've done that pathway, we have the Academy, which is a free nationwide virtual course for 18 to 25s, and Brixton, which is in person and in London only. Those are kind of the connectors. The Academy in Brixton take that talent, whether it's, you know, and give it a first kind of dip its toes into lots of different experiences. And then we directly connect that talent with roles at our partners. So we are essentially an employability engine. And our partners fund us to draw talent from those those kind of um, pools. Um, And for example, Brixton, we have 47 students this year. Normally we get, well, COVID, we got 80% employment. This year we're expecting 90%. So it's a kind of new system that works. And because it's supported from 14 to 25, you're you're not on your own. You're not a pioneer from a community that you can't see in the spaces when you arrive. And it's literally just like rolling out a giant red carpet all the way in, which, you know, it's just a lovely thing. Yeah, I mean, those those things sound amazing. And, and obviously, are you know, getting young people through the door and, and, and kind of making them aware of what advertising is and what you can achieve within the business. And I hope I'm not labouring the point again about the kind of more senior roles in that yeah. sh- should the advertising mm. industry be looking to draw in people, you know, already senior people in other industries? We talk about sort of... Uh, tech companies sort of hoovering up young talent um, and, you know, and being a big competitor for the advertising industry. But should the industry be then looking at those tech companies and people of diverse backgrounds who have already achieved a lot in that area coming into advertising and sort of being a beacon for those people? Like Ali, you said that, you know, why would people come into this industry when they look around and don't see anyone like them who's kind of achieved a lot? And there aren't that many people who, who are, you know, of diverse backgrounds that are senior people. So it just feels to me, you know, as, as an outsider looking in, like, you know, you'd want those people to be there and somehow tempt them from other places to come and kind of shine a light on it for, for the advertising. But how do, I mean, easy to say, but how do you do that? And can that be done in a kind of concerted way? I think, so an example of somebody that swapped verticals, I think that's it. Why don't you take the senior team, team from a different vertical and that's much more diverse than our particular segment and bring it back in. So, for example, Carolyn McCall was CEO of The Guardian. She came up through a media background and then she leapt to be CEO of EasyJet. And obviously she's moved back into the fold. But that's a perfect example of how those skills are transferable. And I think you're completely right to say, why can't we be you know, it should be like running like a Premier League team. Once you've got those C-suite skills, you should be able to, there's a, of your day job, I imagine, is pretty much similar when you run a big business. 
I think there may be an element of elitism, like, oh, we're very special. Only special people can do this job. And you think, really? And I remember when I was coming up through the ranks, you know, because I'm you know, now three decades in, the only people that were perceived as doing the job were a very binary. You know, it was very male. It was very Caucasian. And you were like, well, I just found that really, it just seemed much too narrow. And I think we are missing out on a lot of talent um, and people with different ideas, people that haven't spent decades in a certain way of working that could bring real bravery and in- innovation in from different segments. I think that's absolutely right. And that's from top to bo- top to bottom. It is about an industry that's comfortable with what they're familiar with. You know, they're familiar with a certain type of person that's come from a certain type of background that's that has a classic education in certain areas and certain... And that's the challenge. It's about not thinking kind of laterally or in an alternative way in terms of seeing what that kind of talent can bring from a different perspective. And it's very much the same in terms of category um, diversity, you know, like or industry or sector diversity. It's the same thing. It's somebody coming with a different lived experience, a different uh, perspective. And that also applies to the world of business in terms of the, the sectors they've worked in. I think absolutely right. And we are an industry that desperately needs kind of some, you know, some sort of fresh thinking um and and i think absolutely bringing people in that have come from completely different backgrounds where there where it is about innov- just being innovative and thinking creatively we're, we're a creative industry it's about ideas um alternative perspectives points of view originality um so that that can come from anywhere i, I absolutely agree does that, but so does that lack sort of point to so you look at examples over the recent years of like uh h&m when they did that um coolest monkey in the jungle I don't know if you saw oh, that yeah. of the, yeah. the young black boy yeah. wearing that hoodie that said coolest monkey in the jungle which caused a huge furore and then the home office with their uh, yeah. campaign like putting anti-knife crime stuff on chicken boxes because it was black people they were aiming for and black people were eating chicken chops and it sort of again that caused a furore and it, and it shows the lack of understanding seemingly the lack of understanding maybe not just in the industry but certainly in the industry and maybe just in the wider world of how you know without these diverse perspectives these things are just going to keep happening and the industry isn't going to move forward because we've got no one to sort of say, oh, hang on a minute, that's 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 yeah. not right. You should be. I don't think any of those campaigns set out to be intentionally offensive, no, no. to be honest with you. And I think actually probably there would have been some data that went round, you know, in terms of targeting and things like that. But the point is, it's those con- cultural sensitivities, those nuances that someone somewhere along the line would have gone, doesn't matter what the data says in terms of how you target these groups or whatever, or that they're hanging out in chip shops or, or whatever it is is that that is just that's so culturally insensitive you just can't do that and I think that is and I think that's where it's going wrong is those those when we're working at pace which as an industry we're working so fast now creative work is coming you know briefs are coming in and out the door so quick that those filters that you you might have in a longer approval process multi-late someone might but it's it's those when you've got people in 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 a team that have those different perspectives and can uh, and cultural understanding that someone would have said, look, look, uh, that cannot go out yeah. like that. And and that's where it's going. It's yeah. going awry. Yeah. And what about the sort of unconscious bias? I mean, do you believe 
is like in, can unconscious bias be a, a real thing that is really holding the industry back that people you know people like me middle-aged white guys are kind of you know sort of basically looking at people and going oh well yeah, there's another middle-aged white guy that's it that I sort of get on with them better than I would someone else is that a thing or is that just something that people hide behind of like oh I didn't mean to it was um it was just something that kind of happened without me thinking about it do you believe I guess do you believe in unconscious bias as being a, a reason I I believe in bias and it definitely has a negative impact on basically individuals who have you know worse outcomes because of it for example we only have to look at whether it's unconscious or not for example if you inside out a bbc show sent in same cvs i'm sure you've heard of this one had an like an English Anglo name and one had a Nigerian surname, uh, exactly the same CV. Obviously the person with, I'm saying obviously, because, you know, I know the problems we face. They're not people with the, the kind of Nigerian surname had to, yeah, they didn't get the interviews. They had to send off 80% more CVs in the, the blind test to get the interview. Is that conscious? Is that unconscious? I think when people say it's unconscious, sometimes that's softening the blow for the person that's getting the feedback. I think the reality is, is it's a real bias, however you dress it up. And I think we maybe just need to focus on the resolution of it, which is how do we be aware if we're, if we're not self-aware of our blind spots, which, you know, I've gone through a massive education process. I'm still in an education process. I'm going to be educating myself on how to be a better ally until you know, the door shut on me, basically. Um, and I know that every year I learn more. So I think it's recognising you're not going to see some stuff if you don't know it's there. But at the same time, if you are thinking you know everything, then that is consciously deciding not to participate in actually working towards change. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, for sure. Okay. For sure. <laughs> uh, I also wanted to touch on uh, kind of social class, I suppose. I, I sort of read a, a report that said that 20% of UK advertising professionals attended fee-paying schools versus a, nav- versus a national average of just 8%. In uh, This was a survey done by the Advertising Association, the IPA and the ISBA. So do you think when it comes to diversity and inclusion, do you think that the discussion around social class sometimes gets left behind? Uh, you know, we talk a lot about obviously, and rightly, we talk about diversity in, in race and gender, but kind of social class feels like it's something that's not always really taken as... Um, Seriously, I think, well, with the figures that all in census is great, but the other figure I've got is 41%, which is from um, Dr. Sam Friedman at LSE on the class ceiling. So the all in survey had 16,000 respondents, 20% of which came from fee paying schools. Uh, obviously, it was those that lent into the survey mm. could say what class they were. I definitely, as somebody who is not from uh, well, I sound more posh now. I think I sound posh. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. Can't tell. But I definitely experienced classism on my way up. I mean, one of my favourite stories is when I went to a meeting with a fashion client and somebody, there's lots of us going to the meeting. It was a posh lunch. And uh, one of my colleagues felt the need to check whether my bag was fake or not. Obviously the um, only person, because obviously I was like, I didn't. I I had no idea how they saw me. It never occurred to me that they would see me as lesser because I'd worked so hard to get in the room, and it was a real. You know, when you have those moments where you go, "I now know how you see me." Classism is very real. It's you know, it's 
some of the companies, you know, will only recruit from certain universities. There's lots of barriers. And we have to talk about location as well. You know, we, we live in a London bubble. One of the big things when you go outside London is it, social mobility is a massive location poverty challenge. For example, the academy, because it's virtual, we're able to connect like North Wales, places really up north. We work with young people who can't afford even the bus fare to the centre of their town, let alone to do come to London for an interview. Um, and it's just the fact that people aren't aware of that. Why can't they come for interview day? Well, are you going to give them 70 quid for a train ticket? Uh, you know, there's so many little things like and things like the free internship or not paying London living wage. You know, there's many, many stories of people having to have second or third jobs in their early advertising careers I did that I had three jobs for my first two years because my entry salary was so low because I wasn't able to lean back into bank of mum and dad you know it's kind of like why can't you say like well I've got to go to my next job mm. what and it would ne- you know that mm. why would you not think that people have a second job most people do if they haven't got any no much money so I think those kind of blindnesses can be quite common do you think that the pandemic might you know, and the resultant kind of migration away from London for certain people might help that. I mean, you know, like there, there seems to be a, a general feeling that although people are sort of, some people try and get back to the office, the office generally being in London uh, for this industry, but you don't have to be. You know, you can work away from town, you can sort of work remotely, you can kind of be creative and not necessarily be in a room with. 10, 15, 20 other people. Do you think that will help or is that just a short-term thing? I think you have to have a culture that is completely like 100% embracing of, of that because I still think there's a like presenteeism hasn't gone away mm. that sense of you know how many who's coming in and who isn't and you know I think there's definitely more scope than we've ever had because people can see that actually you can deliver you know brilliant results working virtually and remotely and all those things but I don't think we've made as much progress as we'd all like to think in terms mm. of if you're really looking like for like are people going to be penalized for not coming in even if it's once or twice a week or being that yeah I'm not sure we're quite there yet but certainly the 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 discussion it's a discussion we can have now that we wouldn't have even dreamed of having pre-pandemic because people just didn't think we could function without all being together in the office five days a week whereas we all know that's not the case anymore so um, I'm not sure we're quite as far but it's certainly opened the door Mm. Um, to maybe making progress in that area, I'd say. I wanted to ask a bit about um, sort of whose job it is. I mean, we've talked obviously about the industry, self-policing and trying to, you know, the, the, the work that you both do in trying to get young people into the industry. But, you know, how involved and how important is it for brands to embrace this? You know, we're talking about production companies and agencies kind of enticing young people in. But, what, you know, how much, um, how much should brands be involved in kind of, um, you know, promoting diversity and being champions for diversity? in their advertising and just in the people that they say they want to work with? It's, I mean, it's got to be end to end. It's got to be across the whole ecosystem or somewhere along the line it's going to fall down. I think um, it's it's a, a kind of universal recognition of the benefits um, and the positive impact of having, you know, a dive from you know, from your cult from within your organization right through to your the comms that you put out in the world. I think I think it can't be just it has to be we're all interconnected. Yeah. Um and it has to be throughout throughout, I believe. Yeah, I agree. I mean I think brands are head of the table. They decide whatever what menu each person sat at the table drinks off of. 
drinks and eats off of. So for me, like we've got some big brand investors like KFC and GSK and Kurt Geiger. And I know if they started saying to their agencies and various other suppliers, what's your ethnicity pay gap? What's your gender pay gap? That would drive change. I mean, I think you've got to not, it's fine, you know, who's shown in the ads is a very different story, isn't it, to who's making those ads Mm. or who's making money from those ads. And I think you've got to have that whole supply chain working towards actively being anti-racist, actively being anti-ableist, actively being anti-classist, because your consumers, whether you like it or not, are diverse and you get to choose how to include them every day. I think we're not so good yet at including them at all levels of the supply chain. And, and how committed do you think the industry is to DEI? Again, you know, at the very start of this, we talked about how it's a big thing and, and you know, the industry has kind of embraced it uh, in the last couple of years. Although we've been talking about it for a long time, it sort of feels like it's at the forefront of people's thinking now. Do you think, and certainly I'm sure you hope, that that is going to continue and it's not just something that, you know, will will kind of fade away over time, the problems will still be there, but something else will come up that we start talking about, whatever that might be. Does it feel like now, you know, people have really started to take notice and, and, and make proper efforts to, to, to tackle this issue? I think there's a much, much bigger spotlight on organisational behaviour and culture and... Um, you know, makeup and all that sort of stuff in a way that it's now being kind of measured. There's there's kind of tables that you know, certainly within our, our industry that, you know, we're having to report our kind of numbers and things like that. And I think as soon as things are spotlighted and measured, like any business metric, as soon as you put a target against it or a measurable objective against it, it gets prioritized and 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 delivered i'm not saying that's happening universally across the board but i certainly feel it feels like there's a groundswell there's people putting their hands up making statements making commitments um and being called to account so i i feel like certainly this has been the most progress i feel like i've seen in in a in a period of time for for years (laughs) ever (laughs) in 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 some areas to to be fair I think there's a wave of progress as well. I'm, I'm, I'm like filled with joy to see it. I also think, yeah, we're in a wave of progress. You know, we're not at perfection. We'll probably never reach it. But at the same time, and still, till you start making people's bonuses dependent on the behaviours that affect change, positive change within an organisation, it's performative. So I always found it suspicious where you could have a DNI policy. But maybe nobody on the C-suite was going to actually lose revenue, I lose their bonus if that wasn't achieved. As somebody that came from a commercial background, yeah, you make the numbers that make you numbers. I also think we have to be really cognizant of the crisis we're in. In the survey you mentioned earlier, the all-in survey, one in three black talents within the industry and one in four Asian talents said they were thinking of leaving due to their experiences so far. Now, we don't have enough of that type of talent to, to lose. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's an incredible crisis. So I think if we're thinking realistically, there's no way to, there's no more need to chat. We need serious deeds, not words. And we need to really start quickly fixing some of the challenges we've got. Otherwise, the, the little gold dust we have in the system is going to go elsewhere. 
And for me, that would be the saddest thing, especially as we're working so hard to drive people in from different communities. We need to really fix the holding on to them. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I'm conscious as well that we haven't, you know, we've covered a lot of ground, but we haven't touched on disability or sexuality and, and those sort of things. And it's such a massive topic that, you know, you can't cover all that stuff in, in a kind of 35, 40 minute podcast. I'm sure uh, we'll come back to those topics at some point in a different uh, uh, a different chat at some point. But to kind of put you on the spot a bit, we talked about what can be done. But sort of final question is, what should people and companies within the industry be doing? What can they proactively do, even small changes that they can make that can kind of help facilitate these changes and help kind of make the industry a, a more diverse place are there are there things that people can kind of implement today tomorrow next week that that will help sort of push this forward i think it's got to be fundamental to their business strategy and when it's fundamental to your business strategy it it, it gets one prioritized and two applied across every aspect of your business and i think for me it's, it's putting it at the heart of, of your business strategy rather than just trying to fix one kind of like component rather than it being a fundamental cultural you know strategic um uh, focus sure yeah i i mean there's so many different types of intersections of diversity i agree there's got to be a central um strategy and structural change program that's long term to drive the change we need i do think that creating bonuses and proper penalties like you don't get this account unless you act in a way that represents the best for your consumers would be a big change. I know myself and Ran, you're a part of the Alliance, which is a collective of amazing social impact projects. I and mean, when we speak from a younger talent point of view, and we have created with our young people a checklist for change that um, could certainly help guide some of your listeners. It's a 10-point list uh, young people came up with, which five points around how to better take care of them while they're trying to get in and five points around retaining them. So I think that's a really good example of listening to the voices of those that are affected by the systems and structures in place. And I know that sometimes we're not very good at that. We like to act quickly. And I would definitely ask us all to listen more but then takes long-term structural action. Okay, I mean, that sounds like a brilliant place to, to end. And uh, obviously, we'll put links to, to your organisations and the different things we've talked about today in the show notes of the podcast. So I urge everyone to check those out and make sure they're aware of what that is and how they can help. But I just want to say thank you so much, Rania, for coming in and Ali for joining us. It's been uh, a pleasure and an education for me to listen to you talk about this. So thank you so much. And yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, see you next time. 